Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so very much for being here. Uh, this is a weekly show where I have a chat with somebody who's figured out a way to get paid to do what they love. And today is no, today is no exception. Uh, I'm speaking with uh, film director James Fazio, who's just made a new movie, making a new film called Time Well Spent. I'll tell you more about him in a moment. This episode is brought to you today by the very good people, just like yourselves, who have uh, supported the show on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash osher, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash O-S-H-E-R. For as little as five bucks a month, you can get exclusive access uh, to episodes that I release only to people who uh, patronise the show. And by uh, donating, uh, not donating, by you know putting money into the show, you are making sure the show comes each week. So if this show does give you any value during your life whatsoever, you can donate a buck a month, two bucks a month, a hundred bucks a month. It doesn't matter. If you can't donate, please don't. But if you can, uh, for about the about the price of a fancy cup of coffee, you can make sure that this show comes to your phone every Sunday in the States or every Monday in Australia. Thank you so much to everybody that has put forward their hard-earned cash into the Patreon uh, system. You are getting... Some great listening at the moment, including a second helping of the wonderful Cindy Gallup. I've dribbled out a few little bits and pieces of our conversation uh, on the RSS feed, but if you want to hear the full conversation, you can hear it by becoming a contributor at patreon.com slash osha. To check in with you this week, boy, howdy, howdy, boy, boy, has it been a week for me. Um, as I've been telling you the last few weeks, I've been transitioning off one set of meds onto another set of meds. Uh, if you're new to the show, g'day. Um, I uh, have a brain that uh, likes to obsess upon things. Um, some would call it an obsessive-compulsive disorder. 
those some would be highly learned and intelligent psychiatrists, so they probably know what they're talking about. Uh, yes, so that happens in my head. So does uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and some generalised anxiety. Like basically, I'm just fucking afraid of everything, and then I obsess about being afraid of everything, and I end up can't be able to do fucking anything. So that's basically what happens. Anyway. Um, I've been on a bunch of meds for about 10 years and it's got to the point where the side effects of those meds aren't uh, really worth the benefits of those meds. So we've been changing off them and moving on to another one. So this week, for the first time in a long time, I did two days of absolutely no medication after I weaned myself off one lot and coming so now I'm coming up onto another lot. And let me tell you, it was really uh, very, very intense. If you've ever been to a county fair or an Easter show or an exhibition or where they have all the rides run by the carnies that turn up on the back of a truck and unfold like a transformer and you pay some money and listen to Labouche or some shitty song from 1987 um, and you go round and round and round and round and round and round, and round really fast, at first it's really exciting because for me what life off meds is like is everything turned up to a million all at once. But then, after about an hour and a half of being awake, because it's really exciting at first and it's really awesome, and the first few hours of my day are on radio, and um, this week it was actually a bit intense because um, my colleagues at Hit 105 in Brisbane were like, fuck, you're fast today. You're really fast. Today. Wow, that's a, you're, what's going on? And it's a bit, you know, I'm... I've got a brain that is different and the differences in my brain have helped me become good at a certain career. But after about an hour and a half, I'm like, oh, fuck, can you stop? Because I've got to get off. I can't do this anymore. But it lasts all day. That kind of excitement of being trapped on this hydraulic ride that's spinning around and around and around and around. And at first it was really exciting. And then you're just like, I just can't deal with this level of, of uh, stimulation. Anyway, <coughs> my doctor, bless him. He said, it's cool, I'll give you some Valiums. I'm like, I don't know if I should be trusted with a drug that I've had a questionable relationship with in the past. Um, but I've been able to get by with using it very, 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 very sparingly. And uh, last night I was able to get to sleep without it because I'm coming up on the new meds. And um, pretty sure if I'm able to get to sleep tonight without it, I think I'll just give it to Audrey and just say, can you just hide this in the house somewhere? And don't tell me where it is. <laughs> it's like chocolate. Just don't bring it into the house. I won't eat it. It's that easy. <laughs> anyway, so the new meds are kind of like a very old version of uh, antidepressant. And so, you know, unfortunately, they take a couple of months before you can see how things work out. So... I've chosen this time because I'm not shooting at the moment. So I'm just on radio. So you're not actually seeing my face and the twitchiness because <laughs> there's twitchiness. Um, but hopefully by the time we start rolling at the end of this week, um, um, everything should be kicking back in again. And so, yeah, we should be all right. If not, you'll know about it when Bachelorette debuts. Wouldn't that be fun? So let me tell you about my guest today. Um, oh, just before I do that, uh, just... I should say a big thank you to everybody that has reached out at sendosheremail at gmail.com. Uh, I'm not alone in having a brain that's different and I'm not alone in being someone that's on meds and I am so touched and moved by the amount of people that write in and just say, hey, as particularly one person wrote in today said, look, I've never had the kind of problems you're talking about, 
but I dated a guy for a long time that has, and boy howdy, Audrey has been a rock for me this week. The poor woman has had to deal with me just off tap. And, um, you know, I've had to just, you know, kind of hold on with my fingernails into the couch going, this is just my brain, this is not me. She's like, I know, I know, just shush. Anyway, this woman wrote, she said that her boyfriend uh, from a few years ago uh, had depression, but she never really understood what it was like and why he couldn't just snap out of it. And listening to this show and a few other things helped to get some perspective. And if that's what happens, then I couldn't be happier. Because, yeah, people's brains are different and sometimes the switches get stuck on and you can't flick them back and it's weird. So my guest today is a filmmaker um, who lives in Hawaii, in the United States of America, a chap by the name of James Fazio. You can find him on Twitter, J-M-S Fazio, F-A-Z-I-O or Z. I.O. if you're in America. He um, has done something rather interesting, which really drew me towards him. I found um, his cinematographer on Instagram and then through a bit of a follow and a DM and some emails, this conversation happened. Now, it is over Skype, so I'll apologize right now for the audio quality. But um, remember a couple of years, not even maybe a year ago, uh, there was an episode with E.G. hans Schmitz who talked about if you want true happiness, true lasting happiness, the only way to get it is to help people. Well, what James has done is he's taken four young men from around the world who uh, have suffered all various forms of disadvantage. Um, one of their, uh, we're talking like a street kid, uh, someone who's dealt with domestic abuse at the hands of their father, someone whose father took his own life. Um, so we do go into those kind of conversations. We do go into them quite deeply. So if those are triggers there for you, um, it's okay if you don't listen to this episode. You can plenty others to listen to. It's fine. I won't be upset. But he's taking these kids who they're kids. They're all I think except for one of them. They're all under eighteen. Um, on a surfing trip to Panama, taking them from all over the world to this place where there is very little, and then these kids helped build a house for a family that was literally living in the dirt. And so they helped people. And the effects of helping people sent them back to their communities where they had been angry, homeless, dealing with the life that that can bring you. And they sent, he sent them back to these, their communities as changed, changed people. But the film looks fantastic. He's currently in a crowdfunding phase. There's about a week left. So I know I asked you for cash before, but... Once you listen to this story, it may inspire you to donate a couple of shekels. The uh, The link is in the uh, show notes of this podcast right now. So if you open your podcast app in the description of the podcast, you'll find a link. Uh, Seed and Spark is the website. You can go there and throw a few bucks their way to help them make the film. But it was too much of a good story to not do. So I got in touch with them over Skype. The line is a bit crappy, but we are speaking from other sides of the planet to each other. Um, but I'm really grateful that I can bring it to you today. So um, please enjoy this conversation with uh, film director and helper of others, James Fazio. G'day, James. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm all right, mate. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Hey, thanks so much for this. Oh, yeah, no, thank you. Crazy. Oh, look, it's all good. 
It's all good. <laughs> now, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm 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 stoked. I put it out to my listeners if it was okay if I did a few more Skype interviews because I normally go face to face. And I said, yeah. They said, yeah, it's all right because it means that we can. <laughs> talk to some more interesting people and that's good but i kind of wish that i could be face to face with you today where in the world are you yeah i'm in hawaii at the moment yeah. <laughs> it, is cold. it is cold in sydney today it's cold. uh it's like probably uh well it's fahrenheit i go by fahrenheit i guess but it's like 80 fahrenheit so minus 32 in harvard so 20 something nice yeah nice math yeah, well, I lived in the States for 10 years. I had, I I had yeah. to constantly do the uh, conversion in my brain. Well, it's it's eight here today. So that's uh, oh. 60s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but there are whales going by, which is nice. Oh, yeah. Is it well season? Yeah, yeah. They're heading uh, – which way are they heading? They're heading north. So yeah, It's just about to start here too, I think. Yeah, they're heading to you. Same. Oh, is that it? Is there coming here? Yeah, they're going my place. Um, on the way to your place. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Did you grow up in Hawaii, Jack? No, I grew up in California, and I moved here about. We moved here about five years ago. What part, so of, we're, what part of California you grew up in? Central California. So, like, have you been, you know California yeah. well? It's like so. It's San Luis Obispo, California, is like right near where I'm at. So it's like directly in between LA and San Francisco. All right, now, this is uh, coastal or the other side of the mountains? Where I am, I'm right on the other side of the mountains, so I'm like 20 minutes from the coast. All right, cool. Yeah. So from what I uh, what I remember about you know surf as I got further north, is it the water gets colder, the, the, there's heaps more seals, heaps more shark bait, but the waves get more awesome. Yeah, yeah there's a lot more swell and less surfers, which is nice. Yeah, it was it was worth it. Once I travelled north the county line, it was worth it. But eventually, then you're like, now I've got to drive three hours home. <laughs> <laughs> I know it gets cold too and sharky. It's for folks who've never surfed in California, unlike Australia, there's all these kelp forests that are just right off the coastline. <laughs> yeah. So the water has this extraordinarily dark and spooky feeling about it because you can't quite see what's happening under your feet. And there's always things. Tickling the soles of your feet. <laughs> it's so true, yeah. yeah. Which is just super, super, super weird. Uh, now, we're, we're talking because uh, you have made a, a very, very interesting film, or you're trying to make a very interesting film called Time Well Spent, um, which I would, uh, you know, I, I would like to, you know, talk to you about that. But how did your uh, how did your filmmaking life start? What was the, you know, when did you realise this was a thing you wanted to do? Well, I guess it's... Uh, pretty late i mean most people i meet that have done documentaries and stuff wanted to be filmmakers since you know middle school or you know whatever so for me it didn't start until since i moved to hawaii so like five years ago i started i was always into filmmaking and liked like i guess you'd say cinematography and you know getting a shot or whatever but no i lived in peru was that like six or seven years ago now and one of the one of the kids that is in the documentary Time Well Spent, Jefferson from Peru, I was working at his, the orphanage that he was living at, and I don't, when I left there, I just was like, I want to tell this guy's story. Yeah. You know, and then it was like, how do I tell his story? So then it was like, oh, I should get into filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one thing I learned from living in the states is not a lot, not a lot of people, and that's it's okay. 
because I understand there's a lot of weird economic factors around college debt and stuff <laughs> like that, but not a lot of people from the States tend to travel outside of the States. What was different about you? Yeah, um, I, don't, I mean, I hate to jump you back this far, but I think it all goes when I was 13 years old. We can go back. we got time. Okay, we're going back now. <laughs> when, uh, yeah, when I was 13 years old, I had a, a rare blood disease called Kawasaki's disease, like the motorcycle. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, sh- I should have died. Like I should. What are the would've... symptoms? What happened? Um, it's, it's blood inflammation disease. So it's like it attacks your heart eventually. And um, you, you can get really bad heart problems or have to get heart surgery or it can take your life or, but it's really, it's a short disease. So it's like, it's there for a week or two weeks and you get medicine, it goes away or it leaves damage. Um, I had it for like two months. Yeah, I should. The doctors had kind of gotten to a point where they used every type of medicine that they had for this disease and had come to a point to let me kind of slowly pass away. Um, and and then I there was um, my parents from the, the church that my parents go to. There was like a late it was just crazy, like just crazy how it happened. But I ended up getting a medicine. It's already been a proven medicine in the medical like in medical practices, but for different diseases. So they, so I was the second person in the world to use this medicine for, for Kawasaki disease. Uh-huh. So, so as experimental, I guess we had to sign all these waivers and, but uh, it worked and I got healed and it was like a miracle. And yeah, so I think, and I was 13. So that like totally rocked my whole rest of my life, I guess, on what I would choose to do. How do your parents even have that conversation with you? Like when you're 13, how do you find out, oh, I've got this, I don't feel so good, go to the doctor, uh, let's do some tests, James, come back, okay, so here's the deal, this can kill you. Like what's that day like? Yeah, I don't, it's hard. I mean, I, I was pr- like pretty sick. Like there was not much of a break of not being really sick and like it has a lot of bad side effects from this disease. So like you usually have like really high fever, like 104 or is that Fahrenheit again? That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really high fever and just like your skin and your hands and your throat and stuff peels cause oh. it's so hot. And, but anyways, no, I, I remember just being really, really sick and I didn't actually hear the conversation, but I remember seeing the doctor tell my parents that, um, that they were kind of helpless at this point. Wow. I just remember him kind of putting his fingers through his hair and trying to tell my parents as good as he could that yeah. it looks like I was going to pass away. And then they kind of told me, I just remember being really worried. I didn't really think, I guess, about dying too much. I yeah. just remember thinking, all right, well, when I survive this, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play sports again or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I didn't really focus too much on I don't really know. Yeah, I think I just yeah. was like a day by day thing. Yeah. Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have an older brother, older sister. And what was their reaction? My sister was in England, and I don't think we told her how serious it was. Yeah. <laughs> and then my brother was, he he had lost um, his friend in a car accident, like not too oh, tough, too much before. So he was pretty, like was you know really worried that I was going to die also. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, my parents, man, they're, they're solid. I mean, they're just, but yeah. they, would, they wouldn't take no for an answer. They, how did they find, you know, opportunities? I mean, this is, you know, you're not 
you're younger than me, but you're not the young, <laughs> young, young man. This is a time internet's in its infancy. You can't really go online and find about, you know, yak, yeah. yak fingernails are really good for eczema. Let's smear <laughs> it on. You, know, you can't really find weird cures for things. Yeah. Um, I guess without like trying to get too spiritual on you, I guess my parents, um, they really were just keeping their ears open for everything where they were really spiritual and like Christian faith and their church and stuff. So they had my whole church praying and we had like a 24 hour prayer thing where people signed up. So they had that going, but at the same time, um, they didn't want to be like, all right, we're just going to give up on medical and just sit here and pray. So, um, they just, they talked to as many people as they could. And the, we were really lucky the doctor, cause I'm from a small area, a small town in California. It's not like you're at Los Angeles children's hospital or some big hospital. So, but we had a really good specialist that was actually knew a lot about this disease. And, um, Dr. Yunai was his name, but he, um, he was a really key to, to, um, I guess finding out what is there's anything else they could do. So, but yeah, it actually ended up being one of my parents, someone that knew my parents knew the parents of the child who got this first treatment and it worked. So they wow. told my parents about it. Yeah. That's extraordinary. And, yes. and so you started to heal up. And so I'm guessing this is the first time in a long time you started to feel better. When did you know that? No, oh, I'm back. No. Yeah. I think it was, it was a long process because they would give me a treatment yeah, and then they'd send me home and say, all right, we think we're hoping this is it. And then I'd be home a week and then my fever would skyrocket again. Yeah, And then, so we did that like probably five different times, four different times. So they sent me home and they said, all right, we're going to wait this out and see. And then, so I was like, okay, I'll be back in a week. <laughs> uh-huh. And, um, and it worked it, it like worked. And then, I mean, every month after that, I got like, ultrasounds on my heart and uh-huh. checkups and and then yeah but they were saying for a long time you know if i survived i would never be able to do sports or any type of straining activity yeah um and that later that year i was playing i think it was baseball huh. baseball season i was back in it so it was crazy that's was crazy oh mate that's fantastic to hear and how did this <laughs> How did this adventure lead you to to Panama? No, I think, yeah, that moment was, um, I think at that time was when I started not looking at life as like myself, like a privileged American, you know, as where I was like, I knew I was given a second chance and it was a miracle and that life was super precious, I guess. And I just remember at that moment being like, I want to, I don't want to just... I can't just live life how I was living it. Even at 13, I know that's really young, but I remember thinking these things like I I want to I want to help people. I want to make other people's lives better. So I guess um yeah, when I was 19 is when I went down to Chile and then Peru to um work at orphanages and help people out down there. What's what's it like the first day, you know, off the plane in, in Chile. I mean, you, you're from <laughs> Central California. It's the 11th largest economy in the world, the state of California. There's, you know, food supply everywhere you look. There's clean water out of the tap. You can buy uh, chocolate pancake covered hot dogs on a stick <laughs> in the freezer in a box of 20. It's a hell of a country. <laughs> and then you get to Chile. What do you remember yeah. those first few days like? 
Well, I mean, I guess I was pretty like, like at that point, I was just really focused on surfing as well. <laughs> surfing and, uh, amazing. My buddy, uh, my buddy Jesse's got a got a place in Chile. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So I think at that point, I would just I just wanted to get good waves when I first got there. And it's funny because Chile has um, they still have really poor people, you know, that would live in huts or you know farmer houses, but. Other than that, like the city, like Santiago, the capital is like like L.A. It's really well built and structured. And um, but no, it was it was definitely crazy flying all that way. And because the people we were supposed to be staying with actually didn't know we were coming. I thought my friend had sent them an email, (laughs) but um, they didn't. So we had to find our way to the coast. But um, yeah, it was an adventure. I think what really shocked me was Peru, though, Peru kind of being in the sl- the slums of Peru and living with families. And that was, um yeah, definitely eye-opener. Yeah. What, what was so different? What was so shocking? We were in near Lima. It's called, it's Comas. It's a real kind of, yeah, people just struggling. I remember I was traveling with my friend who had blue eyes. And I remember staying with a family there where their grandpa had never seen anyone with blue eyes besides TV. So he was just shocked and... It was, I mean, it's a real, it's a place with tons of robbing and thief and kind of dangerous area as well. And, and, um, but yeah, we just wanted to be there to help people out and stuff. So we would just cruise around and nothing ever happened to us. It's pretty, uh, that's pretty lucky. What do you get out of, uh, what do you personally get out of helping people out? You obviously learned fairly young the benefits of that. Yeah. I mean, I just, like, for example, for the documentary, for the, the boys we took on the trip, I don't know. I just I like seeing people from one situation almost have their perspective changed on on their life. Not just like, oh, like, like for example, Cross, one of the kids from Big Island that we took on this trip, he grew up homeless on Hawaii. And then after this trip to see him, you know, like kind of not see himself as like, oh, I was I'm a homeless person kid from Hawaii but like oh I can I can make a difference you know yeah yeah I don't I just yeah I like seeing yeah I don't know I just like seeing people happy and believing in themselves and yeah so when you were in Peru when you were working in this orphanage is that where you said you meant you mentioned that you met someone whose story you had to tell mm-hmm. who was that uh his name is Jefferson he's one of the older kids on the trip that we took He's about, I think he's 24 now. When I met him, he was 17. Uh-huh. He was one of the older kids in the orphanage kind of helping. He was studying, surfing competitively, and helping run the orphanage as well since he was one of the older ones. Yeah. But yeah, he he left his, his house. His dad was uh, abusive when he was younger and was gone most of the time. So he left his house when he was 10 years old to search for his mom in Lima. So he just took a bus when he was 10 years old with a few coins in his pocket. Wow. Came to Lima, obviously didn't find his mom in the big city, was sleeping in the parks and the slides and playground and singing in buses and things to get money and get by. And then a long story short, he ended up in an orphanage with this amazing woman, the orphanage that I ended up working at. And um, I think once he got in the orphanage, probably when he was like 13, 14, he started surfing. 
and just like fell in love with surfing. And then he got really, really good at surfing. And then he found out too, also that surfing kind of took away all his, his thoughts or the pain or the things you dwell on from his past kind of just went away in the ocean. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he became like one year he was number two in Peru for his age group surfing. Wow. Number one. So he came really good. So you, you met this kid and you head back to the States. What, what was the genesis of wanting to make a, you know. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This film then? I was just about to ask my wife now to get engaged with me and I was trying to figure out what we would do for the future because now I'm getting married and would do this. I'm not just going to drag around my wife with me to these random countries and stuff. But she had the same, I guess, outlook on life and the heart as me as well to want to do things like this. And no, yeah, I once I, I was taking a leadership school actually, because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, um, no, that was the moment where I felt like I should I should tell his story. Yeah. And then once we made that step and I went into uh, filming school, as we traveled more as well, surfing and helping in different countries, we found out that there was like a lot of other kids that had the same similar story as Jefferson that loves surfing and is actually really good at surfing. So. So hang on. So you and your wife would travel on surfing trips. And on surf trips, find ways to help out in the local community? Yeah, that's mainly what we do a lot of the times. Yeah, we focus on that. What does that help look like? What does it help? It looks different in every um, – we partner with different organizations. We we partner with nonprofits or Christian organizations or whatever it may be. We partner with people that are already doing work in the area. So it, it goes from working at orphanages to – um, visiting jails or um, yeah, building homes, water filtration stuff, or just taking like teaching uh, underprivileged kids how to surf, things like that. I guess. What what feeling do you get? What feeling do you get after a long day of uh, of that sort of stuff? Well, I guess it depends how it goes that day, right? <laughs> even on the um, even on the worst day, even on yeah. the worst day, you see a smile on a kid's face. What what do you? Oh yeah, no, yeah, it's totally worth it. I mean, it can be really taxing, and you get tired, and especially traveling and or getting sick from eating food wherever you're at or whatever. But at the end of the day, when you see um, a parent smile or a kid smile, or able to see someone with a new house or a better situation that they weren't in, or 
drinking clean water from a stream that was getting their kids sick is like, yeah, it's 100% worth it. Yeah, definitely better. Yeah, best feeling, I guess, you could you can get, I guess. Yeah. And so you and your wife are traveling around and, and obviously you're, you know, you're sharing what you're doing with others and go, yeah, it's great. You should totally try it. Was it, was making the film a way of you trying to let other people know what helping others can do for you? Yeah, I think, yeah, for the, I think when it all, when it first actually started, it was like our main focus was just the four boys that we wanted to take on the trip was just like, all right, I want, I want to experience, I want them to experience this. I want them to go from number one, they've never left their country or possibly their hometown even and um, get out, see a different part of the world and just learn. I mean, what we've been using for the documentary is like learn their worth, you know, like I was saying, like they're not street kids or they're not homeless or abused or whatever it is that, but they have something to contribute to other people. They, they can be the ones helping so it started with them, and then as we heard their stories, and I mean we we're fil- we we're filming these people, and like me and um, Elliot Gray, he's from Australia actually, he helped me do cinematography on the documentary, but we're sitting there interviewing these kids and crying with them, and then that's where like all right these these kids' stories I think can also change other people's lives, you know. So tell me about the other kids. How did you find them? Um, Cross from Big Island. He's from the island that we've been living the last five years. Um, a local nonprofit here called More Than Sport, who does similar stuff like this, works with, uses sports to help different causes or kids, I guess. And so they hooked us up with Cross, told us their story, um, his story. They only knew a little part of it. We met Cross and met his parents and asked if it was something that they'd be into and they were super into it and Declan from Ocean Grove Australia from Victoria he that's the same hometown where Elliot is from the director of photography and um, we were looking for about three to four kids one of the other kids that we knew fell through so we were looking and then we found Declan we heard his story and we really wanted to get him on the trip so that was Australia and Indonesia my wife's so my sister-in-law works full-time with the orphanage in bali indonesia and that's where henry is from Mm. and then peru is from jefferson when i lived there with them any reason why you went for all boys uh that's a good question i guess for me whenever i travel i guess i always work with boys and then my wife is always the one that will work with younger girls or whoever and um so i guess mainly and there is some really good surfers now but i guess when i was working with them it was just i would go surfing with these boys and heard their story and yeah and i I think for the documentary we kind of seen as these boys going on a trip together and building like a brotherhood more like friendship for them and so maybe in the future we'll do an all girls one (laughs) (laughs) what's the logistics behind it I started Jefferson's process to get his paperwork two years ago, yeah. three, maybe more getting, it's just, yeah. So paperwork and visas and passports and, yeah. but Cross from Hawaii, from America, he was actually the hardest to get all, almost the hardest. Cause he didn't have, we didn't have an original birth certificate. 
he didn't have a state ID. He didn't have a social security card or a passport or basically anything. So that was a long process. Isn't that incredible that even in a country as big and powerful as the States, you can basically not exist. You can be invisible to society. Yeah. Yeah. Just fall through the cracks. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, And like having lived there and having, I, I feel like me, someone who has money, uh, uh, well, at least enough to get a cab down to the social security <laughs> office and have the time to spend four hours there on a weekday where I don't have to work. It's hard to get a social security number. It's hard. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine what it's like to be 17 and not mm-hmm. have money to get a cab down there and not have the time to not work. It was really difficult. I know. Yeah. Well, just crazy because he, he is an American citizen. He was born here. And he doesn't have a social security card, so he literally couldn't get a job. Yeah. He couldn't get a paid on a payroll. Can't open a bank account, can't have a phone. I know. Yeah. And that blew my mind. Once I got my social security card, life before and after a social security card is like once you're on the grid, you're on the grid. Like <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how I wonder how quickly after you got a social security card, the credit card off, hey, we'll give you a thousand bucks. <laughs> That's true. Seriously, like the next week, the credit card office started arriving. We hear you're new. How about you like some credit? <laughs> <laughs> Join us in debt. Yeah, exactly. So you you got all these kids together. Why why did you choose to travel where you took them all? Why did you go there? Yeah. Um, originally, I guess the very first original plan for this documentary was to take the boys on a sailing yacht yeah. in Micronesia because I had just had recently done that trip. So I was so the plan was to get them on a medical ship with this organization called YWAM Ships. So and they take medical doctors and like water filtration systems to the islands that never get reached in Micronesia. And I had just done this and then so my idea was like and I found like perfectly uncrowded waves. <laughs> so I was the first plan was to take all the boys there and do the surf trip and then sail around. But that boat actually uh, capsized oh. here in Hawaii, and uh, so yeah, we that whole plan fell through. And then actually kind of put the documentary on hold. And then we were actually down in Panama mm. doing the similar stuff with doctors in the villages there and stuff. And and there's like perfect ways down there. Yeah. In Bogusta Toro. So we were right there. There was like plenty of opportunity to get perfect waves and to help people and get a life changing experience. So that's, I guess we kind of went with what we knew. Yeah. We knew that what it had to offer, I guess. How long were you away for? For the trip or mm-hmm. before the, oh, yeah, for the we, trip? For the boy, we took the boys, I think it was three and a half weeks. Wow. I think with travel time, it was. Decent chunk of yeah, time. Oh, no, maybe two and a half weeks. Sorry, two and a half weeks. It's a decent chunk of time, though. It is a chunk of time, especially if you've never left your home. Yeah. Anytime yeah. that you're far enough away from home, anytime that you've got to do at least one laundry trip, that's <laughs> like, oh, okay, now we're serious here. I've run out of underpants. I'm that's either washing in the sink or I'm going to have to go learn how to ask for laundry in the local language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know a lot about what happened to the psychology or the development of a kid. Uh, I know a little bit, and what I do know is that a lot of the way that 
a kid will justify absolutely horrible things happening to them, uh, abuse or homelessness or sexual abuse or physical abuse, a lot of the times the way a kid will justify that is by going, well, clearly I'm not worth anything, otherwise this wouldn't happen. I've, I'm clearly a piece of shit, otherwise this would never be happening. And that can really affect a young person as they go through life because then they, they have such a little value of themselves because that's the only way they can justify such horrible things happening to them. When you, how, how did you help these kids face that? How did you, did, how did, the, you, did you see that manifest at all in those kids? Yeah, no, that's really good. It's so true too. For this whole trip, I had a lot of advice for people with the documentary, you know, to make sure you get deep with these boys and make sure you, you know, for for the documentary part. And I guess our heart was like never to push the boys, never to make them say anything they don't want to share. Or So just I guess the whole trip almost it was just like trying to set up events that really marked me in my personal life, the same type of events for them, and then also making it really safe to be vulnerable together and so yeah we did it was pretty cool we we had a night where all three boys sat so we took so yeah so we had a night where all all the boys sat together and it was just a time for them to hear their stories and they just told each other stories and we were all like bawling for like the whole night we were just crying all together and it was like it's really hard also, it was really vulnerable. It brought up a lot for them. But I think to be able to say it and be vulnerable in a safe place and to hear other stories, I guess, of other people that have been through different similar things on the trip, really, I think one of the biggest things is so cross from Big Island, who was homeless. Um, we built a home for a family in need in Panama with a nonprofit called Homes for Hope. And so we built a house and this family like so we built it right next to their old house and their old house was just dirt floors um and the rain like it rained really bad in the mountain so the rain would like literally run through their whole house on the floors like every time it rained um but cross was able to be the one to hand over the keys to the family i think that was like a huge changing for him that he from never having a home was able to build a home for a family but then also to be able to see actually how lucky he still is even though he was homeless in the states the things that he had in comparison to to them i don't know he he totally came away from this trip changed so yeah you've got these these kids who i mean to survive in that sort of situation if you're living on the street or you are you know trying to survive abuse from your carers you do have to adopt almost like a an, an aggression about you to survive mm -hmm. And did you see that softening at all as these kids did this work? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like hundred percent true. I mean, you, like you're saying, you put up these walls like to protect yourself from getting hurt again. Yeah. And, um, totally could see these walls interviewing the kids the first time we met them. I remember the first time we interviewed cross again, he, he didn't tell his story and we didn't push it. And then we were packing up the camera gear and he's like, actually, I want to tell you get some something else. And then he told us his whole story. But no, I even had people from here, from the hometown that Cross is from, come up to me in the water where I'm surfing. And was like, what did you do to Cross on that trip? <laughs> like, he always used to have a chip on his shoulder. 
and now you can just see he's just like letting things go and just has a lot more joy and stuff so it's really that's cool because honestly we didn't do much you know it was as much as the kids wanted to get out of the trip i guess as yeah all we did was set it up what else changed with the other kids um i think declan before this declan is from australia and his dad had committed suicide about four years ago i think now or five and he just didn't talk about it like to anyone for the longest time and he had just recently started opening up before this trip like perfect timing and on this trip like he was just able to talk about it he was able to start sharing about his dad and telling us awesome things about his dad and what he loved about his dad and um, what he missed about his dad and just like breaking down all that hardened wall kind of of something like that happens obviously you do that and it hurts so bad that you put up all these protections and just to see him and we we really see, saw him gain a bunch of his confidence back yeah tons of confidence like he went from being really like he just was really confident like in a good way in who he was and his surfing and just a lot it was awesome to see yeah, what role we've, we've spoken a lot about what it is to help other people and to be of service and how being of service can ultimately. We've had this on this show before. We've had a fascinating mm. Japanese guy, Eiji Hanshimisu, who basically went around the world discovering what makes people happy. He said, "Helping other people is what <laughs> makes you happy." That's the end. Yeah. Of, that's the end of the story. That's what makes that's true happiness is helping other people. And we've talked a lot about you know what it was to build a house and you know this kid across you say was a bit of a chip on his shoulder and then once he built a house for someone else who clearly had, a, if there was such a thing, worse than him, um, he had, it, it transformed him. What role does surfing have in all this? I think surfing, and the surfing, at least in all these boys' past, was the one thing that they, was it was like their healing process, like their refuge. Yeah. So, you know, if they get beat or they're, crying and they don't want to talk to anyone uh-huh. they just would go into the ocean and leave basically leave all their problems in the water yeah um which i always use surfing as that too it was always my you know like i guess your meditation you would say yeah so i think surfing it just was ingrained in them so and, and if you're a surfer you know that a surf trip is like rite of passage as a surfer like you go somewhere <laughs> and you surf waves you've never surfed and so that was this trip also for these boys just so they could get the best waves they could get you know yeah you're uh you're crowdfunding to uh to finish off the film can you explain a little as to why you've gone down that path yeah i think it's just really funny i mean i guess it's like what's the word counterintuitive to like what i'd want to do as this project is ask people for money i guess for me as a per like personally so I was editing, going to edit the whole thing and just do everything I could and scrape penny by like we've been doing this whole time, just scraping by and making it happen. Um, when I just really felt like, like, no, I owe it to these kids and a lot of people who have believed in this project to do it professional and right. And to do that, you need money. So um, I guess instead of trying to go out and find a single investor, we wanted to get everyone involved and I mean, because it's also something people maybe they want to be a part of it. They want to be a part of something and then see it come to full, you know. Yeah. So, so are you saying that you might be able to not only 
have some cash contribution, but say, for example, I don't know, uh, a graphic artist might get on board and help you with the poster or an audio person might get on board and help you mixing a couple of scenes, that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Like that, we're totally going for that as well. Like, you know, if there's a professional editor or something or anyone, and we've had people approach us already, but yeah, just that. And also just, um, yeah, just to feel like you were part of something that, yeah. yeah, So I don't know. So we went the crowdfunding route just because we wanted to make this professional. And more than that, I think we wanted like this whole documentary is about hope and holding on to hope and then helping others and knowing your worth. So if that's the purpose, we want as many people to see it so that they can, you know, be inspired by these boys stories and trip and everything. So I've got to say, like, the trailer is fantastic. If you don't uh, if you haven't watched it yet, I would have asked you at the start of the show, but I'm going to ask you again. Watch, <laughs> watch it now. It's a cracker. It makes me want to go to Panama. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, so, because it's an interesting word, uh, so can you tell me what have you found through all of your travels in nearly dying as as a kid and going around the world and helping others? What have you? What does hope mean to you, and what role does hope play in life for you? That's a deep question. That's a good question. Um, hope. I mean, hope for me really. What I've seen, someone in the darkest situation in their life at least for me from when i was in even before i went to Tule, actually i was like in the hit rock bottom in my life when i was 19 and going down and just like i remember even just singing songs with kids or something and hanging out with them and seeing joy and then it just sparked something in me that like I, why would i give up on life life's beautiful you know like there's so many things in life that you can hold on to instead of focusing on this about me or this happened to me and this is my situation look at me and and life keeps going right and you feel like the whole world moved past you and you're stuck in your depression and despair and just if if you can just get some hope in there or inspire that person to to move forward and with the rest of the world for me that's what i needed i just needed a moment in my life to to push me forward and to start thinking about questions about life like okay well why do i even do this if this is not what's fulfilling me i don't know does that answer your question well hope is a hope is a forward thinking thing isn't it hope is like the faith that you believe it can get better you know that your situation can change um and i think you're the person to change it you know and sometimes you need you need help from someone else you need that one person that gives you that chance or whatever for jefferson in peru is that one lady who took him off the street yeah. And he had a choice to change his lifestyle or not. And I think the hope that she gave him that, hey, you can you can get an education. He's actually studying to be an architect now Wow. from the street. So it's let a former homeless person build your home. If that's not on the business card, Jefferson, <laughs> that's that's it. That's the future. Uh, you also mentioned helping others. What have you learned and what can you tell people over your life of helping others? What can you tell people about what it means and what it does for you? I think I think we're made we're made to help each other. Like we're not made to pass someone on the side of the street that needs help. Like we all feel something for that person. Maybe some of us don't because we do put those walls and everything up in our life forever. But no, I think we're we're made to help each other. That's like we're like created to help each other like and be in relationship with each other. So, and we all need help. That's the thing, right? Like how many times have you gotten help from someone that made the difference in your life and same with me. So we've all been helped and it made a change in our life. 
So just because we go to Panama and we build a house for this family that's living in the dirt, so we build them a house and we don't have to feel like, oh, poor them. And maybe that's not what they feel like. Now they have a house and they maybe have more dignity. And maybe one of those kids is going to go to college and be the next president of Pan or whatever it is. It's just helping others. You don't know where it leads. You don't know your the significance change that you'll you'll play in someone's life. But a lot of people are afraid, man. A lot of people pass it's someone scary. on the street. A lot of people pass someone on the street that's a different color from them, or a different sexuality from them, or a different religion from them, and they're afraid. Yeah. I mean, what it's it is. It's. I mean, love is the difference as well, too, right? And there is. It's just hard. It is hard to step out. It's vulnerable. You get vulnerable. How many? I mean, how many times have I? I remember. I remember giving a meal to a homeless guy on the side of the road in California, and he yelled at me because he's vegan. <laughs> I love California. I know, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh! And it's just Don't like. You no, know I'm vegan. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, I will I'll take this burrito back. <laughs> I tainted it with the beef. Uh, um, no, it's you take you stick your neck out there sometimes yeah. and you get shut down or you get made fun of even or yeah. stick sticking up for someone getting bullied, whatever it may be. But in the end, I mean that's why else are we, I guess, on, on earth, right? Couldn't agree with you more, mate. Um <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, uh, it's very cold in Australia right now, so please enjoy the warm water. <laughs> yep. I guess it's summer, so it's not really great waves at the moment. A couple more months and there'll be good waves there, right? It's true. We did miss it, but luckily we just caught a south swell, so it's been good. <laughs> not to rub it in. No, 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 that's okay. If people want to uh, help out with your film, uh, where do they go? Uh, right now we're running it on – it's called seedandspark.com. We can raise the money and possibly get distribution for the film as well, as which, which was our goal anyway, to get a bunch of people to see it. So even if people go to seedandspark.com, get to Time Well Spent's page, and even if they just – even if they don't have the means to give at the moment, even if they just follow the project and we get over 500 followers – then we'll be able to lock in distribution, hopefully. And if you're able to give, then that's how you give. And we have like incentives. Is that like gifts? Incentives, yeah. Incentives. Extra syllable in there. We have incentives as well. And so there's a lot of cool stuff you can get for giving. And uh, yeah, we can use all the help we could get. You got it, man. Hey, uh, thank you so, so much for your time. I'm really grateful uh, that you took the time to do this. And thanks for making time on this day to, to speak to us, mate. Best of luck with it, all right? Yeah, hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye. No worries, James. Have a great one. See you, mate. And that was James Fazio. If you want to find out more about his film, Time Well Spent, you could find a link in the uh, description of this podcast inside your podcast app there'll be a link there just click on that and it'll take you straight to the funding page you can also find him on twitter jms fazio f-a-z-i-o thanks heaps for listening thank you to everybody that has supported this show at patreon remember if you would like access to exclusive episodes of the show and give back if this show has given something to you um it would be of enormous enormous significance if you could give back because it's uh free to listen to but it's not free to make and thankfully 
to my great producer, Andy Marr. We are able to bring you this show every week because of Patreon supporters who listen. So thank you so, so much. Until we talk next week, I wish you nothing but love, sleep well, and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 